case we haven't met, I'm Dino Colombo. I represent people hurt by a truck. It's what we do every day. I've seen truck accidents devastate families, but we can help. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. It is Tuesday evening. We are so glad that you are with us today. Uh, you've probably heard Brian and I talk about being pastors before. It kind of became an inside joke for a while where we were like, we're pastors, ha ha ha. That's The Common Good drinking game. Every time Brian and I say it, we want you to take a sip of iced tea or something like that. Um, but one of the things we haven't actually talked about, Brian, is church spaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually had a conversation with my small group on Sunday night, sort of uh, weighing the pros and cons of like a beautiful high church, uh, Catholic cathedral type space versus more low church, church plant, you know, missional gym type spaces. I personally think there's value for both and we can talk about why. But um you and I are both, I mean, we're in like a borrowed community space. You use a church or tell me where you guys meet. Uh, we rehabbed a warehouse. So at, we're, oh, as okay. low, yeah. we're as low, when you describe yeah. low yeah. church, we literally, uh, I, I, I'm guessing that the, that the, uh, uh, our, our warehouse is adorned with asbestos is what I always like to think. So uh, we are in a warehouse down here in Darien. So yes, I totally get what you're saying. Now, interestingly, in the beginning of it, I think that was a draw for many people who were are coming out of like the Catholic Church or the higher churches. Um, but I do. I get the debate for sure. Yeah. So um, anyway, let's let's actually talk about that. So uh, what do you think the advantage and disadvantages are of a more like aesthetically pleasing, uh, irreverent space? Yeah, I do think that there's something to location and there's something to the beauty. Like we've all, even if you're not a high church person, right? You've walked into cathedrals. You've walked, you've been in Europe and walked into some old grand space. You've been in some place with beautiful um, stained glass and you've been literally brought to worship, right? Like that's happened to you. Like it leads you into worship versus our more utilitarian spaces. But what people need to understand is uh, a lot of us who do church plants or whatever, we're doing all we can to afford anything. So the idea <laughs> right. that like, right. if you told me I had all the money in the world and I, and you gave me land and yeah. I could build anything to my heart's desire, I'd yeah. probably build a stunningly beautiful church sanctuary i don't think i'd buy i'd build like a warehouse or but yeah those just aren't around and so for when the people get really like what ticks me off is when people on twitter or whatever else will be like it's like some sort of shot at those of us who are meeting totally. in warehouses or in schools yeah. like yeah. we're doing church like we've compromised something yeah and those people want to be like all right that arrogance is unwarranted and yes. i don't even really know where it comes from like yeah okay is your hope in that but like that's weird like enjoy your right. incense and stuff like do what you gotta do but yeah uh, so that's where it's weird Could, if somebody offered me one of those buildings i'd be thrilled but i don't in a think heartbeat it, i don't think it makes you more of a church 
Yeah, I do think that is interesting. Those shots come around on Twitter every once in a while where it's like, hey, low church evangelicals. Yes. Look at these beautiful spaces. Who do you think worships God better? And it's like, <laughs> okay, slow down. Like, yep. yes, we can all say those are beautiful spaces. Because all like the high said, churches are doing so well right now. <laughs> well, really. And we don't have all the money. And too, like, it's we all know, like, church is not about a building. Yes, some yes. of those buildings give you awe and reverence. And like you said, we would have them in a heartbeat if we could. But I will say in 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 defense of the low church space, I mean, just a couple days ago with our small group, this guy was saying, I would have never walked in renewal church if it was a high church. I would have felt intimidated. I would have felt like I didn't belong there. And he was a new Christian. Uh, uh, He's now bringing his mom to church. He's now on the worship team. He would never have walked in the space if it was a sort of beautiful space because that felt intimidating to him. And he liked that he could come to renewal in jeans, in a sweatshirt and not feel like he didn't belong. And so it's like, you can argue for both things. Like there is a reason, believe it or not, why some non-denominational churches have chosen the warehouse, the community space, Mm -hmm. the gym, Because intentionally they wanted to bring church down where it felt more welcoming to the people and not this massive distance between them and God. So there is some mission and purpose behind it, which I don't think people always understand. Like when you're like for us, we're intentionally in a community center because we can give financially to our city that way. And it creates a welcoming space. Now, will we be there forever? No, if someone gave us a space, would we say yes? Yes. If it was beautiful, would we be like, amen? Yes, we would. At the same time, like, I think just to assume one is better than the other right. or more thoughtful than the other is actually not true. It's just a different line of thinking around church and church spaces. Yeah, I'd suggest in my town and many of the towns by us, some of the most beautiful churches are really struggling. And so that clearly the building is not necessarily all there is. Uh, what I would say is a generation ago, two generations ago, and probably this day, we got way too utilitarian. Like everything yeah, was a gym. True. Everything that's was kind of... And I, I would be great if we went back to looking like at a, architecture as one mm-hmm. of the things that brings us into worship. Like the old cathedrals mm-hmm. are set up very intentionally about yes. how... Uh, about how to make that work. And so uh, I, I do think it's too utilitarian, but to get on a high horse about architecture, I think is strange. Yeah, I think it's just a weird, it's a weird thought, but you know, we all come from, we're all a little weird in some, in some way, shape or form. I, what, what is the I, one thing you would love in a church? If somebody gifted you yeah, a church. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Or said, you can have all the money in the world to build something. What would it be? Oh, like what man. would be, what would there, what would be a part of it? I should say. It would be, honestly, it would be a soccer field that we could use for our neighborhood. Like, I would want Chicago, uh, the Chicago Eagles, the other soccer teams around town, local teams, local schools, local community centers, local, uh, we have lots of little apartment complexes around West Chicago, to feel like they could come and use our soccer space throughout the week and kids would have a safe place to be with coaches that are pouring into them. Like, that would be a dream come true to me. And then, like, Sunday mornings, we clear the field and do church or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that would be awesome. What about you? What would you... So you took that much different do? direction. I was like, literally, what would you want in a building? And all I was thinking was, I want a really high ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, if I could have stained glass, I'd put stained glass in it. Like, I actually wish that as a new church, a younger church, 
if you told me a church was going to gift their church to us, I'd be like, could it Ooh. please be like an, like one of the high church? Like, I'd love that. Like, yeah, kind of the new It'd and be a cool old. place to like do weddings and that kind of thing would be really fun. For yep, sure. Yep, yep. But I do think about like churches around the world. Right. Like, I mean, Ukraine has been destroyed. So what are their church spaces now? Uh, our time in Zambia, like we were literally meeting in like thatched roof buildings. Right. And so to think like that's not less of a church than the high, beautiful spaces. God still has is pleased with that worship and like the spirit of God is still there and there's still beauty there. So I think it's like uh, we're kind of circling back now. There's a place and and desire for both but i think to like position one as quote-unquote better or more worshipful than the other is actually really not smart in my mind totally yeah all right well coming up next we're going to talk about lies that every 20 something needs to stop believing i'm curious if there are lies for other ages as well we'll talk about that when we come back you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Friday, March 24th, my birthday month, just four days after Your my birthday. birthday. Yep. Mm-hmm. Join Mercy Me on their Always Only Jesus tour at the Airy Crown Theater in Chicago. That's a cool theater. I've been there before. You will hear some of their old classic music along with music from their new album tickets. This is the best part. They start at $22, so it's actually affordable. I feel like concerts these days are never affordable, but you can do this one for more information and to get your tickets, visit mercyme.com. Org. That would be a fun event to go to. Maybe mm-hmm. for my birthday. Maybe for Mama's birthday. I'm going to Mercy Me. You um, can ask your family. That's They'll right. Take you. That's right. That would be a fun family event, actually. Okay, Brian. So I was at my uh, small group, Renewal Community is what we call them, on Sunday night. And it's fun because it's a mix of ages. We've got 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. Our oldest is about to turn 50. She's 40... Uh, she might not. She might be 47. So not about to turn 50. But so you're basically the oldest, like close. You're basically the oldest. There's person one the other older that two older than me, three older than me, three older than me. But yes, did Kevin, you just count your husband? Did yes. you just count your husband? Oh, I definitely did. I definitely by did. a day. Yes, I definitely. Did. No, we're <laughs> there definitely are two up there. older than you. We're definitely up there in the in the older category. Um, But so the 20 somethings were agonizing on Sunday evening about kind of their career paths and like, who are they? And they're watching these people on TikTok that have millions of followers and they're not even, they they barely have any followers and like what? And, ah, you know, I, I studied for this thing at school and now I'm in a different career path. And I wasn't trying to be cynical, but I turned to the rest of us that are in the older crowd and I was like, are any of you doing what you thought you'd do at 23? And everyone was like, nope, <laughs> no, no. Nope. I mean, maybe like career adjacent, but like not yeah. the exact thing you thought you'd do. And so we started talking about, man, the pressure that 20 somethings feel to be entrepreneurs, to be famous on social media, to like decide what their career is right now and be super successful at it. Like we were all kind of like, you guys, you have got to like turn the volume down on that pressure a little bit. It is so, so intense. But I also remember being 20 something and feeling like I need to change the world and change it right now. Like it was a different kind of pressure, but it certainly was that like, I don't know what it is. You feel like life is 
coming at you fast and you're going to miss it or you're behind or something like that. So it's funny because I was uh, over at Relevant Magazine kind of just messing around on their website and I found this article that said five lies every 20 something needs to stop believing and it was really in that same vein in fact the second one is i should be successful by now like right now exclamation point (laughs) and this author is saying i fully expected to walk straight into a crazy successful 20 something life with accolades salaries bonuses a big old fat book deal and a plethora of people who wanted to subscribe to my success like think about that at 23, that's the pressure. Uh, so I feel like 20, I feel like the difference with 20 year olds now is when we were in our 20s, and if we had talked about success, it really would have been very primarily financial success, right? Like for if sure, you were talking to sure. a now it's like notoriety. Now yeah. it's like being, and finance, don't get me wrong, yeah. financial success is that part of it. That comes with that, right. But now it feels like I'm known. I'm, uh, I go, you know, online, social media. I have, a, I have a following. I have, I'm, I'm not some unknown person. And, and there were not those venues. Obviously, some people yeah. were famous when we were younger. But you know, it was more traditional. You were big. In, you were like one in a million, one in yeah. ten million, right? Yeah. Now there seems to be this entitlement with some that it's like. I should be known mm-hmm. by now. And you're mm-hmm. like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why, why is do it you... about you that why would I want to, you know, what is it that that, that you should be famous? For? It's a weird deal. It really is. It's weird. And I also think part of it is that tw- in our 20s, we didn't see what everyone else was doing. And right now, like mm-hmm. everyone can see what everyone else is doing everywhere around the world all at once. And so it's like. Oh, you see a handful of 20-somethings you follow that actually are successful, which, again, is probably just a few in a million. And so you're like, that's the standard I need to live up to. And it's like this Mm -hmm. totally, I think, false expectation of what life actually is and what influence actually means and and what success actually is, what expertise is, you know, like some of that you have to earn. You, You don't have expertise in your 20s. And uh, anyway, so there are some major lies. Another one of the lies this relevant, mar- uh, relevant magazine says, I think this is probably true of all ages. They say uh, one of the lies is I'm the only one struggling. Like you think mm. you're alone. You think other people have it figured out. But really, the reality is every single one of us are questioning, like, what's next? Do I have what it takes? We're all kind of dealing with imposter syndrome. I think it yeah. I, I don't think that's specific to 20 somethings. I think that that's at every age. I agree. See, that's what's weird about a lot of this is this is true for every yeah. age, but it's unique for 20 somethings. Like we said, what does it mean to be well known or successful? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be known? Like it takes different things, but you're right. In the end, these end up. um Kind of being across the board. Yeah. The next one is life is not turning out like it was supposed to. This Mm. one is interesting because the author says there is no supposed to. Supposed to is a lie. Supposed to is built on the perception of someone else's perceived success. I love the advice I give. It says live your life right now exactly as it is and do your best to keep moving forward into where you want to go. That's what you're supposed to do. That is mm. so good. I love that. It's really good. Here's the. I, is, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's really good because I think I think it's harder with the age we're at right now. Like this is the old midlife crisis, right? It's the mm. 
it's not this isn't how it was supposed to be i was supposed to be fill in the blank mm, more successful more yeah, known yeah more, yeah um have it all together mm. whatever closer to you know bigger retirement account whatever yeah. else it might be yeah. uh th- when i read this one i was like no that feels more like those of us in our 40s I think 50s so too. trying to go mm-hmm. oh how much more time do i have to turn this around yeah. it's not what i dreamt about and now i'm almost past the time of dreaming yeah right right that gets this hard feels that like- does that gets hard yeah, that gets, I think, where, like, I know sometimes I hear 20-somethings talking about a quarter-life crisis, and I'm like, look, you don't even know. Like, like midlife crisis is actually a real, real thing where you are facing, like, you're talking about, like, oh, it isn't what it should be, but, like, I'm halfway there. What do I do now? You know? So, like, that's, yes. I actually think that's more of a lie for our age than it is for 20-somethings who still have a whole lot of life ahead of them and a lot of time. I heard that phrase, uh, I heard that phrase, quarter-life crisis, for the first time. Uh, it's so funny you bring that up because I never noticed it. There's the Office episode, the Michael's final Dundies, uh, and I was watching that yesterday yeah. on the couch. And uh, Gabe, it's the one where Aaron breaks up with him in front of everybody, and he just gets up and he's like, "I'm really angry. This must be what the quarter life crisis is all about." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, the quarter life crisis." Oh man, oh man, I gotta watch the Office again. That's that's so such good. a good show. So good. All right, well, coming up next, we're gonna kind of continue this conversation by trying to answer this question what makes the good life talk about that when we come back you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life brian we just kind of ended a conversation talking about lies that 20 somethings believe and really just pressure we put on ourselves at any age and uh, it got me thinking about this question about the good life right you hear people talk about how they want to live the good life they want to land in the good life they want to find the good life yes how do you think we define the good life? Like, how do you know? Okay, I'm living. I'm living the good life now. It's interesting you bring this up. This is a, it, it touches oh, on what awesome. I preached on this past week. Hmm. I was talking about the idol of comfort. I'm doing present day idols. We talked about the idol of comfort. And I talked about that really difficult passage parable that Jesus tells where he um, where the guy has to build a, a yeah. second barn because he has so much stuff. And he basically says, now I'm going to put my feet up and uh, enjoy life. And you're like, yeah, that's good life. Made it. Like he did it. He had the good life. And the next, the next verse is God said to him mm. that day, you fool because you lost your, you know, whatever. Um, because he says your life could be taken, is going to be taken from you. Uh, and I, I asked that question. I said, gosh, I struggle with this parable because if you told me now contextualized, like to our day, but if you described that guy's life in our day and told me I could have it, I would sign up for it immediately. Yeah. And yet yeah. God calls him a fool. And so I do think the good life for us is one of comfort. I think the good life is mm-hmm. one of financial freedom. Like I don't have to work. Uh, mm-hmm. I can kind of do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um you know, an early retirement or a vacation. Like, I think those, I think the yeah. good life has to do a lot yeah. with stuff. Yeah. And a lot with I, comfort I think you're and right about that. Like, that's sort of like, I, I can, I can put my feet up on my ottoman while looking at the beach from my beach house kind of thing. Like that is the good life right Ooh, there. And I think nice. a lot of us yes. want to achieve that for sure. What talk to me, since you mm-hmm. just did a sermon on this, talk to me about how that becomes idolatry. 
Mm. Yeah, because it becomes all about ourselves and we lose out who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do. Uh, When we bow at the idol of comfort, then that becomes our driving force with how we spend our money, how I situate my life. Um, The Bible never describes Mm. following Jesus as comfortable. Right. And so what I ended up saying is what we're actually called to do is to not search after, I, I talked basically, I said the antidote to the idol of comfort is um, it's good. love of God, yeah. love of neighbor. It's obedience and it's purpose. It's I'm, I'm living for who God is. You know, do I really believe John 10, 10, that Jesus wow. said he came to bring abundant wow. life? Do I actually believe that? Uh, and do I actually believe that, that following him is a doorway mm. rather than a burden? And do I actually think that, you know, it's John yeah. Piper's old don't waste your life. There's nothing wrong with retirement, but even in your retirement, yeah. what's the purpose you're living for? That's what I was trying to get at. If your whole purpose is your own comfort and your own ease and your own pleasure, then uh, that's not who God, God has called us to be. But he's called us to be obedient, to follow him and to live with the purpose as Christ's ambassadors, as, um, you know, lights in the world. And you can do that retire yeah. you could do that yeah. working you could do, do you that think in a lot that of there is a settings. way to do both or do you think jesus is like no like it doesn't work you can't pursue the quote stereotypical good life and pursue me or is it just like as long as you keep it in proper perspective like yeah i think it's that i uh i think that that it's a perspective deal because um mm-hmm. I, you know the bible talks about saving Saving. Uh, the Bible talks about the Bible never says that, yeah. you know, making money is bad. Now, it, we have to be very mm-hmm. honest as Westerners that the Bible is also very clear that yeah. making money makes it more complicated. So you've got the whole idea of the rich young ruler who Jesus says, yeah, come fo- you know, sell everything and follow me. And most of us read that as going, yeah. how dare he add, tell him to do that? When in reality, Jesus mm. was probably giving that guy a better opportunity. And so that's where we get things wrong. And so uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with retirement. I don't think there's anything wrong with yeah. working and yeah. saving and making money. I really don't. I think it's a matter of perspective. I do think yeah. making a lot of money makes it more complicated and, and opens you up to things that other people I sure do want probably that life aren't going to need to struggle I'm not going to lie. certainly do. It's funny, Brian. I, I tell you Well, it's, it's funny because I actually— How would you define a good life? Yeah. I, let's— I I talked a little bit about idolatry too yesterday in my sermon and how like I do think it's the difference between because if worship is adoration and devotion, well, we can adore and devote ourselves to really good things like our kids Mm -hmm. are a great example of that. When does it become idolatry? And I, I think, you know, this is kind of a classic definition. It's when it begins to capture our imaginations and our pocketbooks and our souls and our heart. Like, you know, it becomes this thing that is like. Uh, on the throne of our hearts rather than God. And so we start worshiping the thing rather than God himself. But I think to answer the question, like, what is the good life? You almost want to redefine it. Like, okay, what is the actual good life that Jesus calls us to? And I mean, I think there's some really spiritual things to say. It's a life like Philippians 2, humbling ourselves like Jesus did on the cross. It's a spirit-filled life like we see at Pentecost. It's life in community in the church. I think there probably are also some just like beautiful, like when we're walking in who God created us to be and we're like pursuing the calling he's placed on our lives. And we're like you said, loving God, loving our neighbor, experiencing 
his abundance that may not look like worldly abundance, but is better than we could imagine. I think that's part of the good life. I talked yesterday from Revelation 3, where the church in Pergamum was like eating the food of idols. But Jesus is like, look, I actually have hidden manna for you. So like, stop feeding yourself from this stuff that's just like petty and shallow and will not actually sustain you and fulfill you instead like i've got food for you i've got provision for you i've got abundance for you and i think like to weigh what the kingdom of god says is the good life and pursue that rather than worldly stuff that's the good life but it's hard because we just like i i want the beach house (laughs) i want it and god may give that to some people but not to everybody I mean, Aubrey, the good life of our culture, it is different than what the Bible tells us. And all of us, no matter how much money we make, no matter what we have going on in our life, have to wrestle with that as Christ followers. Here's where I would close this. I would say that the good life, quote unquote, pointed out in Scripture, if we believe Jesus's words is, in fact, then the better life. Like it's what we should be searching for. So often we give that lip service and we go, ah, oh, but I really want our cultures. I want our, my world's good life. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the part of like believing John ten ten and other stuff is to know, no, no, the good life is following Jesus, living yeah. as he's called us to live, yeah. uh, running after what he's called us to run after. I think once we embrace that, we'll be okay. I always think about David. I think it's David. It's one of the psalmists talking about how the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. And this, you know, this concept of like, there are boundaries in the Christian life, right? Like some of the, we're not necessarily supposed to pursue the same things that the world is pursuing as part of our distinctiveness as followers of Jesus, but to trust that like, that's good. Like those are good places or pleasant places is another translation of that, that the, mm-hmm. even though we may not have what we see our neighbors have that we want so desperately still to trust that like the boundaries God has put around us for whatever reason are for our, our good and our best and our freedom and our pleasure. And that those are good boundaries. Those are pleasant boundaries. Think ultimately like that's another way of thinking about the good life as well. Mm-hmm. Well, coming up, Speaking of the good life, we're going to actually laugh a little bit. What are some of the entitled things that the very, very, very rich people do? We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's fun to end the show on like just a funny note. And so we're going to do that. Okay. Over at BuzzFeed, a place I love to go just to make me laugh. Non-rich people are pointing out the most bizarre things rich people do. And this is what this article says. The author says her name is Liz Richardson. I'm convinced the wealthy aren't real human beings. So uh, we're going to talk about how sometimes it seems like the very, very, very wealthy live in a different world than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the first one. Somebody said, like, for some reason, rich people like ugly furniture. Why do rich people always have the ugliest (laughs) furniture? I don't know if I think that's true, but that's kind of funny. That's really... the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Right? I yeah. like ugly furniture because it tends to be cheap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, number two, but they do not like constructive oh. criticism. They're taking these from tweets they've seen from yeah. people who wrote this lady wrote. Why do rich people cry when people point out that they probably uh, aren't the best at things? <laughs> it's like, I think there's something to be said. I, I you know. This is not necessary. I don't have a lot of money, but I would suspect if you have a lot of money, you probably also have a little bit of a heightened view of your own mm, opinion and your own. Um, yeah. That people should think people should listen to you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 
But yes, there you go. I don't okay. like constructive criticism either. That's true. Again, I don't know I if don't anybody really does. Okay, this one's funny. They're obsessed with fancy <laughs> ice. <laughs> the rich people on TikTok that organize... I do get jealous of this. The rich people on TikTok that organize their fridges and put food in containers with different ice shapes and flavors. I do see like, you know, I watch the... Un- unashamedly, I watch the Kardashians and their kitchens, yes. they have containers for like all the different snacks and all the different foods it's like here's the here's the containers for just the cereal here's the containers for just the candy bars pull this drawer out and it's got the granola bars it's crazy and i I mean i probably could actually do that in my house if i wanted to but it feels fancy that's what fancy people do for sure it was fancy that's funny how about this one Rich people do normal things the same way that aliens would do those things to try and imitate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. The awkwardness. Have you ever seen the, uh, uh, okay, you got to Google it okay, if you've I never seen it. this. Have you ever seen, it's from like the mid nineties. It was from like one of the first Apple, no, no, Microsoft. Which one, Steve? Um, no, no, Bill Gates. Microsoft, that's Microsoft, yeah. right? Yeah. So Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, all of those guys who first started it, they're doing one of like their first like public meetings with all the employees and they come out and like they're dancing to the music. And it is the funniest, most awkward oh, thing you'll ever really? see. Uh, you got to do it okay. sometime. Go Google it. I don't know how to find I'm going to try okay. to find it okay. for you. That would be fun. I'll have to pay attention to that. All right. I'm skipping down to number nine because this one I think is kind of entertaining. This is so true of celebrities. They get free things. Even if they can buy it themselves. It is so true that like the super rich or the super famous so get like true. free swag all the time, even though they're the ones who can actually afford to buy those things. That's oh, so funny. that's funny. That's uh, unfair. They have so much unused space in their houses. Yeah, and then somebody true. wrote, why do rich people need 35 bedrooms, four tennis courts, <laughs> six indoor and outdoor pools, seven kitchens, uh, <laughs> kitchens, a bodega and a hospital in their homes? <laughs> That's so true. Um, why do rich people like pretending to be poor? I don't I don't know about this, but this says, why do rich people want to be regular so bad? If I was a billionaire on here tweeting, uh, I wish I would be a billionaire in here tweeting like a poor by a dolphin circus or something. Basically, like if you're rich, own it. It's what they're saying. It's pretty good. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Oh, this is funny. These these are not. Oh bad. wait, this is. Uh, can I share? 14. Can I share one yeah, disconnected to the one I just said? Somebody yeah. else said, "Rich people will tell you things like after the kids fifty thousand dollar a year private school tuition, we basically live paycheck to paycheck." <laughs> Have you seen the kid the ones where people will be like? Uh, Here's three simple, like some young entrepreneur, be like three simple steps to starting your own business. And like the first step clearly was given like a million dollars by their parents. (laughs) (laughs) First, you know, do this. And people are like, that costs like a million dollars. Right. How did that start? uh, That's funny. Rich people love going into politics. Oh, yeah. Why do rich people go into politics? This person writes, if I was rich, I would live in a house by the sea and fulfill as many mutual aid requests as I could and mind my business instead of spending $14 million to run on a two-year term. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're looking to give back. They're looking to give back. They want to make change. Yeah, they want to make change. That's good. Okay. um, (laughs) 
acting as if money can't solve problems. This person says, I don't know why rich people always say money doesn't solve problems. All of my problems would literally be solved if I had money. <laughs> that feels true. That actually feels true a lot of times. Like, I wouldn't have this student loan. I'd be able to get groceries. I wouldn't be in credit are, card debt, you know, if I actually had money. That's true. These are funny. What about this one? Rich people are always like, if you work hard, you'll be fine. And I'm like, you have people that clean your house and walk your dogs and do your laundry and watch your kids for you. Where am I supposed to find the time? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, this one goes back to something we said. Why do they have so many rooms? Why do they have several bathrooms? Oh, this is so... Some of this might be motivated by jealousy. Some of this is probably probably accurate. Yes. Some of this is unfair to the rich people, although I think it's okay. They're fine. They're fine with their millions of dollars. Not They're, they're not sad about this. But, um, Brian, if you, if you were a very, very rich person, what's the first thing you'd buy? Let's say you're going to give to your local church, give a lot. Like, what's the first, like, selfish thing you would buy? Yeah. A beach house. Yeah. No doubt about that. I would buy a beach house and live on that beach house and enjoy that beach house with everything. You know what else would be really fun would be a... uh uh, what, what else would be fun would be oh, a, uh, private plane a private would be really plane. Nice. Yeah, that'd be really I gotta nice. I got to be honest. I watched this episode it of really The Kardashians where uh, the mom and one of the daughters was like, we just want to have a regular person day. This tells you how rich they are. We just have a regular person day. So they went to the car wash. And they and they went to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> I know that That's that really tells funny. you. That's funny. You can do my regular <laughs> right? person day. I'll let you do that for me. All right. Well, those are some funny things that the very, very wealthy do. We will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian From I'm Aubrey Sampson. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Planet Oat Oat Milk is so rich and creamy. I love it in my cereal, but also in smoothies. With zero grams of sugar in Planet Oat unsweetened varieties. But it gets even better. It's an excellent source of calcium with vitamins A and D that's delicious in everything. Mmm, including my lattes. Pick up the carton that has it all. Or visit planetoat.com for more. Planet Oat. Be good to you.